Jenny Green. Weekdays from 3 on 2FM. The sound of the nation. It is time for us to check in on a weekend of sport with Gavin Cooney of the 42. And no prizes for guessing what takes pole position today. That Formula One decider in the desert. What a race, Gav. Oh, pole position. Play yourself that, Alan Partridge. Back of the net. Hot key for yourself. Back of the net. Uh, Thank you. uh, (laughs) Um, Right, so like anyone who wasn't watching, um, well, it's not a spoiler to say that uh, you're going to have one hell of an experience watching Netflix's Drive to Survive next year because it did kind of appear that uh, (laughs) that the F1 Grand Prix, uh, the culminated Max Verstappen winning uh, the uh, Formula One World Championship, by overtaking Lewis Hamilton on the last lap of the last Grand Prix of the year, was uh, made for TV, if not made by TV. Um, And one man in the middle of it earned himself a lifetime supply of Red Bull. Uh, Other energy drinks are available, I should say. Um, So, And all Nicholas Latifi had to do to earn this lifetime supply of Red Bull (laughs) was to crash a car at 200 miles an hour. Uh, So Red Bull team principal Christian Horner uh, said that he and Max Verstappen would need something from the racing gods if Max was to steal the title uh, from Lewis Hamilton. Uh, he said that with around 10 laps to go. Such was the gap between the two racers. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the gift arrived from the racing gods and the uh, uh, race director, uh, Michael Massey, uh, when the hapless Latifi crashed out with five laps to go. Uh, so that introduced safety car to the race while the debris was being cleared, allowing Verstappen to make his pit stop. He changed onto faster tyres. Hamilton desti- decided to stay out on the track. And then the controversy came when the race director decided to allow the five cars, the lapped cars between Verstappen and Hamilton, uh, overlap the safety car and get out of the way, uh, thus set up a final lap race between Max and Lewis, which Max won in, I have to say, ridiculously dramatic, if slightly contrived circumstances. So, uh, How was he allowed to just suddenly, I, I suppose, change the rules mid-race? <laughs> uh, th- like, they will say that the rules were adhered to. Like, there were, you know, there are... It did contravene some rules, it seems, but they were overridden by another rule that says that the race director has final say. He is the omniscient power behind all of this, I think, is uh, is effectively what they said, which makes him like less like a direct like less a race, race director than a movie or a TV director. Like he's like an auteur that can just arrange things for however he wants it, i.e. for the most dramatic ending and spectacle possible. So. Good news for Max Verstappen, uh, sad news for Lewis Hamilton, who I have to say was a picture of sportsmanship afterwards. He conducted himself very, very well. Uh, Mercedes were furious. They lodged two appeals, but um, to no avail. So Verstappen was the winner and Latifi for crashing earned himself more Red Bull than anyone could possibly There was a feeling, though, all week that Mercedes were going to appeal something at the race. They obviously didn't know yet the extent of what it was going to be, but there was always this anticipation this was going to happen in this race, no matter what. Yeah, there was like it, it, just because the year was so mired in controversy and claim and counterclaim, you did wonder, will this be decided on the track? And I suppose technically it was decided on the track, but it then had to be, you know, uh, verified and confirmed hours later. Like I was I was in work for the 42 last night and we were kind of waiting for hours wondering, like, how is this Mercedes um, appeal going to go? Is Verstappen actually the champion? But uh, as it stands, he is anyway. And I find that's like, I, that's a bit of an anticlimax, I have to say. The, um, 
the fact that it was all dependent on the final outcome from the appeal and what the stewards said. But uh, uh, mm-hmm. you won't get much of that package in Drive to Survive on Netflix next year. You're going to get uh, the spectacle and, uh, and finale to end all spectacular finale. It kind of reminds me of my mum's birthday a few years ago. We got sumo suits and we decided to have a race in them. My sister is uh, a lot faster than me and very sporty. And my mum decided to hold her back while I began and took off. And it feels a bit like that. <laughs> There you go. I, 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 I'm sure that's the exact. That's the template that Netflix and, uh, and the, the FIA were working off, no doubt. Now, elsewhere, fans of Spanish club uh, Real Betis have given are been getting into the season spirit of generosity. Tell us a bit about this. Yeah, Real Betis fans embraced uh, you know the season of goodwill uh, by hurling soft toys and teddy bears onto the pitch during their weekend's game in La Liga uh, with Ibar hundreds of teddy bears and other stuffed animals thrown from the stands uh, and they weren't done in anger or anything. It was uh, because of a pre-game appeal on behalf of the club. Uh, So all of those teddy bears and soft toys were being rounded up and then donated to disadvantaged families in the region as part of the club's commitment to community outreach. They're not the first uh, club to do this. Feyenoord fans, the Netherlands, uh, the club in the Netherlands, uh, Feyenoord fans did something similar back in August where they littered their their pitch with toys to be given to patients at a local children's hospital. That's a lovely story. Um, uh, Elsewhere then, Chelsea's Sam Kerr took matters into her own hands when a pitch invader interrupted her side's Champions League tie with Juventus. So football, no doubt, as you already are aware, Jenny, is cu- currently caught in the grip of an epidemic of pitch invaders. Mm. Like we've had people running onto the pitch to ask for jerseys and ask for selfies, or as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, to try and interrupt play in a rugby match and cost the Welsh team a crucial try. Uh, to the point, actually, where the Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp spoke out against this epidemic of pitch invaders in his most recent program match program note, saying. It needs to stop. And perhaps he was watching uh, Chelsea Women's Champions League tie with Juventus earlier that week. So uh, it's very, very much worth watching the video of this that's doing the rounds online. So this guy ambled onto the pitch. Stewards seemed in absolutely no rush to get rid of him. Just kind of let him wander where he wanted. He tried to pose for selfies with Magdalena Eriksson, uh, the Swedish international who plays with Chelsea. He did that. And then he finally, he walked around for another little while. Then he finally now, began can I just, The game is still going on at this point, is it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, the game, like it's during the game, the game has been paused to allow this man walk around. And, you know, what are the, like the referee wasn't going to do too much because, you know, she was on her own. There was no police or stewards helping her out. Yeah. Uh, so this guy eventually began walking to the sidelines. And then before he went, decided, decided to sidle up beside Sam Kerr of Chelsea, the Australian international, who responded by flattening him. <laughs> yes! Like, it was it was like the clip you'll see played throughout every uh, GA summer. The clip of Jeremy the Rock O'Sullivan charging out from his full back line, like flattening and swatting away hapless defenders is what Sam Kerr did to this lad. <laughs> so, uh, Kerr was shown a yellow card by the referee. What? Uh, yeah, don't know where that's That seems unfair. Yeah, it kind of does. Also, I mean... Yeah, I think no, it is unfair. Like, I mean, she did the right thing, and she was the only one looking out for, willing to do something about the situation. Yeah. And Chelsea manager uh, complained afterwards, like this guy could have got photos after the game. We would have stopped if he really wanted them. <laughs> uh, someone has to, someone has to think of player safety. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's Sam Kerr taking taking matters into her own hands. Good woman herself. Now a final update on the fan who caused a multi-cyclist pileup at this year's Tour de France. Um, is this story finally has an end? 
this story finally has an end. We were talking a couple of weeks ago, like who are the most who are the most oft mentioned sports people in this slot? And we have Djokovic and Ronnie O'Sullivan. And I think third is the female fan whose cardboard sign. Do we know her name even? No, probably no, not. It, Doesn't it's matter. Being, it's being held back. She's deliberately not been named publicly. Uh, <laughs> so her fan, uh, the fan whose cardboard sign managed to cause a 20 cyclist pile up at this year's Tour de France. Um, I'm sure a listener you'll remember uh, this woman had a sign saying hello to her grandparents <laughs> and then swung around to wave at the TV cameras at the worst possible moment during this year's <laughs> Tour de France, thwacking a cyclist and knocking a score of them over like dominoes. Uh, she then went on the run <laughs> with an effective warrant out for arrest before finally turning herself in a couple of, year, uh, couple of days later. She went on trial in Brest in France earlier this month now, she could have faced a one-year prison sentence and a 15,000 euro fine. She was found guilty of reckless endangerment and involuntarily causing injuries, but the punishment was not as severe as it could have been. She was hit by a fine of 1,200 euro. God, that's pretty nothing yeah. in comparison to what she did. <laughs> I com- I completely. Like, I'm sure the experience that she went through uh, was far, was a far yeah. worse than the fine she's had to pay. And I can't imagine that she will be back uh, at the... Tour de France next year and if she, she better be not there. be near a bike anywhere ever again <laughs> and, and no signs no <laughs> signs uh, finally you got a little TV show for us to watch out for yeah HBO are bringing out an adaptation of a book all about the 1980s LA Lakers basketball time it's titled uh, basketball team even uh, it's titled Winning Time The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty it's out next March uh, 10, minutes, 10 episodes on HBO so I'm sure we'll be able to get it here uh, pretty easily it'll chronicle the professional and the personal lives of the 80s LA Lakers uh, so pretty dominant team and famous players Magic Johnson uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar both will be portrayed in it and John C. Riley, he of Step Brothers and many other movies will play the team owner Jerry Buss uh, it's in the trailer I think he sets the tone for this whole uh, series and what to expect he says there are two things in this world that make me believe in God sex and basketball <laughs> uh, so it's directed by Adam McKay who's also the executive producer on it whose recent production credits for HBO include Succession oh wow so, okay uh, so we're in for a treat on this one I will certainly look forward to that uh, Gavin Cooney thank you so much and we will talk to you again next week thank you Jenny here we go Jenny Green weekdays from 3 on 2FM the sound of the nation